0: plushcare.com slash weight loss
1: the michael reed Show podcast tune in weekdays from nine on lmfm to contact us email now michael at lmfm.ie
2: Monday morning, the 21st of August. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. As you've been hearing in the bulletins this morning, the Obelisk Bridge closes from today and with it one route off the N51 into the town of Drogheda. The consequence of this closure, which is to last for up to 10 months at least, is expected to be traffic chaos. One of the solutions that has been proposed by most people is to remove the toll at the Donor ramp. It would help if not solve the problem. That seems to be the consensus view locally but that's one that's been rejected by TAI Ireland. Let's go to that toll ramp now uh, where Frank Godfrey is staging a protest. Frank Godfrey, uh, a former politician indeed, uh, a former mayor of drada uh, and on the line with us and a uh, very good morning to you, Frank, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. You're set to protest there today, up until 6 o'clock this evening, is that correct?
3: That's right. Good morning, uh, Mike, and to your listeners. Um, First and foremost, it's very important that Rod uh, makes a stand uh, on this issue. It's been going on for 23 years. I have been protesting here at the M1 tolls more than a half a dozen times, and in fact uh, since the the Denor tolls opened in 2003, I have been uh, protesting. I was very forced to protest at that time because I knew of the consequences to uh, Drogheda and the taxpayer. So we took action at that time. And uh, um, However, we welcomed the restoration work on the Bionopolis Bridge. Um, again, I was very vocal and uh, one of those who raised it over the past 40 years at Lowell county Council level because of the deteriorating condition of the bridge. And so we look forward now to the completion of this historical um uh, landmark uh, at the back of the Vineside uh, hmm. at Old Bridge uh, I, I think
2: everybody welcomes uh, the works that are necessary on the bridge and nobody disputes the fact that it is necessary to repair the bridge uh, apart from everything else to make sure that it's safe uh, but it, it's the consequence of that work of closing the road that is of concern to you today because as you say you've protested at the tolls before in the past but this protest is, is somewhat different because it's to do with the closure of the road along with the Obelisk Bridge and the 10 months that's involved. If the toll was to be lifted for those 10 months, uh, we're told uh, by Jed Nash that that would be uh, at a cost of 3 million euro. But that's what you're asking for in this protest, is it not? We
3: need need the Minister for Transport to tell us. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, there needs to be some uh, goodwill uh, shown by uh, Transport uh, Infrastructure, Ireland and Celtic Roads Group uh, who, uh, you know, they haven't uh, come up with any solutions, and the Loud County Council also, there's an issue here uh, as well. And, uh, you know, it's regrettable that the, the, that the three of them haven't come up with any solution or uh, in, in no way out for uh, motors other than gridlock in Broda. uh Business will be affected, families, visitors. Uh, hard-pressed families, uh, taxpayers, uh, will have to uh, go elsewhere around the town in circles. Uh, the Donore no- uh, roundabout will be chopper block as well. So it- it's, it's- at the traffic lights, All the issues. Drawer is an unfriendly town when it comes to traffic because trying to get in and out of it from one side of the town, the north to the south, it can take anything up to 40 minutes and we need to have a a real um, overall plan, a traffic plan, uh, for uh, Drada. Uh, So this uh, gridlock is going to cause mayhem in the town. We want the Taoiseach Minister for Transport to come to Drada. Uh, The the Taoiseach was here in Dunlea last week for for half a day. We want him to come to Drada with uh, some solution. If this was in his own constituency, or Eamon Ryan's constituency, and a bridge closed, you you would know that they would uh, do something, and... uh, uh, um, suspend the tolls in their own constituency. Yep. But the big question here, Mike, is why uh, did they uh, why not place a toll on Dundalk? Why place the, the toll in Drada 23 years ago? Uh, it was nearer to the border. It, it, it made more sense to, to put the tolls there. But no, they smacked it right on the on the on the, on the Battle of the Boyne side. And this is the Battle of the Boyne too that we're fighting here today in Drada. And um, you know. And uh, Drada needs some fair play from the local authorities and the, the, the government. And we feel badly left down here uh, today. And it's not a good day for Drada uh, because uh, it's going to be a costly day. In fact, uh, Mike, for mm. a lot of, of, of uh, people that uh, use using the, the, the Obelisk Bridge on a daily basis. In fact, it'll be something like uh, 422 uh, um, way. And that adds up to something like €21. Euro, uh, 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 a week and if you add it all up at the end of the day uh, it's going to be uh, something like 800 uh, euro and I don't think, I don't believe it will be uh, 10 months it will be something like more than a year and a year and a half
2: It could very well be uh,
3: Structurally the the bridge, bridge, they allowed it practically to fall into the river I love that uh, bridge and like many many more and for tourist visitors and the closeness to the Battle of the Boyne and uh, the Ukraine You know, that bridge is very special, but really what Hmm. we need... And nobody has
2: any argument about the bridge, Frank. Uh, I I think everybody would uh, agree with that, Uh, but it's not necessary for people to pay the toll either because they could make their way into Drogheda through Mel and back home the same way, could they not?
3: Yeah, but that's if you ever get down Mel, uh, Mel, North Road, uh, Trinity Street, all those places... It will take you um, um, maybe uh, 10, uh, 20, 50 minutes to get to into Il- Novigrad. To There's going to be chaos on the street. People, uh, you know, you mean uh, you mean,
2: you mean there, 10, 10 to 20, closed, 10 10 to 20, closed 20 closed minutes before the before the closure. That was the situation before the bridge closed. Yeah, so,
3: that's what I'm saying. So a lot more. You're absolutely correct, Mike. Yeah. So, so it's, it's going it.
2: to be more than that. Maybe double that time just to get into the town.
3: Yeah. Yeah, but when I get back to the obelisk bridge. They should have had considered there is no solutions here whatsoever or alternative route to ease the traffic. in rather. They have come up with absolutely nothing. That's okay. what grieves me here. And and what, uh, even, if they ha- even if they had constructed a Bailey Bridge across the Bine, like they did during the Second World War uh, uh, where the uh, army um, put the bridges across and they hmm. got across, there is no solutions. Something has to be done. And even in that general area with regards to infrastructure around that whole area... We definitely need another bridge uh, uh, near uh, the obelisk well, Bridge to get traffic. Th- to they're,
2: they're, they're very important, uh, but possibly this morning separate points I want to ask you though uh, about uh, another question uh, yeah. uh, and one that comes from the statement from TII Transport Infrastructure Ireland because when the Minister Eamon Ryan was asked about this he said I don't have a, a direct role in this. Uh, if there's to be a deal done with the tolls operator that would have to involve TII and it's down to them to decide. But they've said that if you were to lift the toll at the that it would make the problem worse, that all of a sudden, cars would be driving along the M1 a- and say, well, there's no toll, why don't we go into Drogheda? And you'd have much more traffic in Drogheda as a result.
3: Yes, there's no doubt about it that. Uh, that, that uh, correct to an extent, but it's fake news. What I'm saying is that the Taoiseach, um, at, at the present time, when he was Minister for Transport, back in November 2015, lifted tolls, fees, for Lorryson and, and uh, Hall, it's just what I am here mm. on a very windy day here at the uh, M1 w- w- one Thank you very much for beeping here and giving us a wave. Uh, over the over the, bri- over the uh, River Boyne. They actually lifted them for one month, and yeah. the minister done that, Leo Brack. Now he's the T shock, and why can Eamon Ryan not do something similar? Give some concession to hard pressed tax. Uh, uh, motors in, in the Drogheda area
2: Yeah well as I, I say because TII says <laughs> cars would suddenly decide to go to Drogheda because the toll had been lifted and I don't think that's the case and I, I don't think many people would uh, agree that that is uh, the case but they've decided against it and I suppose the proof will be in the pudding if the traffic yeah. backs up it's and enough pressure is put on the government to do something about it maybe then there could be a change of mind and that takes us to the next stage of your campaign because you're there protesting today until six o'clock and you're asking people to come up and join you at the toll for a few minutes or a few hours if they can, but you're also starting a petition tomorrow?
3: Yeah, a petition on the town tomorrow uh, for uh, over the next coming weeks and we're going to be here indefinite uh, over the the coming months here at the tolls until there's some give and goodwill and I don't believe that Transport uh, Infrastructure Ireland that they can't come up with something and, and, and give some concession. For example, uh, if the uh, if their contract was extended by uh, one uh, year and uh, uh, they gave toll free here at the the, the toll here uh, for uh, this year while the works are going on, uh, that would be uh, something back from them from the millions that this company is making that the government handed over uh, to them uh, and the the, the the people of Ireland had no say in it, no uh, vote on it, and I, I think it's it's not uh, fair, not right. And, uh, well, they, they built
2: the, the, road, the road, Frank. Nineteen
3: years, nineteen years of the contract left. They've been making yeah. millions on the back mm. of, of, of the people uh, of uh, Ireland. But they,
2: they uh, well, they built the road, uh, and if they hadn't they, built, they, it, if they, built it, they hadn't the road, built the road, we the, wouldn't be having this conversation today, anyway.
3: Yeah, but the government, the government is getting something like twenty-three percent of of the VAT uh, from the company, and they have getting yes, they're getting millions out of it. They passed the buck, the government, and uh, handed it over to them. This should be a case for the government and the Irish people, not for uh, uh, companies to make uh, billions and billions on the back of hard-pressed taxpayers. And I just want to say, uh, Mike, that uh, uh, you know the, the, the North Toll um, is, 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 is uh, people are very, very angry here this morning. I've been talking to people. One woman said they want to close the town down. And, and the toll is a huge tax umbrella, uh, for the for business uh, development and will cause horrendous. Uh, uh, problems here on, on the North Road and with cars that, um, what would I say, filter into draw there. and as I said earlier Mel, that, that particular area North Road uh, and 20 Street. and heaven knows 23 is, is one of, you can either get in or out mm. when the apartments goes up there on the Bridge of Peace <laughs> I don't know how they're going to get in or out of the bridge Terrible bad planning so uh, th- there was no plan to facilitate extra uh, traffic, uh, Mike. I think you would agree with me there.
2: Well, I don't it's think just, Loud uh, County Council... I don't, I don't d- the
3: Loud County Council. And, and uh, you know, I call on the, the CEO of Loud County Council to explain what plan of action is in place.
2: Well, I don't think there's been any any plan of action other than signs diverting traffic.
3: It's not good enough, you know, like it's not good enough to, to people that have to go from A to B. Uh, you know, you look at the taxis, the, the buses coming into Drada from yep. Northern Ireland. Uh, there's going to be huge inconvenience right across uh, Drada. And uh, it, it's time for action. I'm asking the people to come out and force. It's time that they woke up and said, right, we've had enough and stand up for Drada. That's the clear message from the toll yep. here, not only on this issue, but on so many other issues with regard to Drada. OK, well,
2: we'll, we'll stay with this issue for the moment, if you don't mind, Frank, because we're running out of time. But I, I think it's true to say that many people who've uh, come to the LMFM studios ha- have travelled here via the Obelisk Bridge uh, because it's just uh, a hop and a skip away from us. Uh, But across the road from us is one of uh, the biggest uh, uh, post-primary schools in in the country. And I I think uh, that people may start to feel the impact of uh, the traffic uh, today, uh, but it really won't be felt Until next week and certainly not until the week after that and the weeks after that when the schools return, uh, because so many people come over that bridge in the mornings uh, at peak time to get their kids to
3: school. That is absolutely correct. And, you know, it's, it's action now. And I could see what was down the line. That's why I'm here. Uh, and next week, our, this week with our petition, and we have a public meeting in the D Hotel uh, for motorists to have their say on uh, Monday uh, the next, uh, the 28th of August at 7 to 9pm. And uh, people will be welcome to come along because uh, people will want to have a say on this issue. Uh, they feel our hands are tied Uh, People would even say it's pointless, uh, we can do little or nothing. But the one man that can do something is the Minister for Transport. Uh, they can tell us this, they can tell us that the shop can act on this as well because Brawda has had enough, you know, and uh, I, I can see what's down the line here. There's going to be mayhem uh, with traffic all okay. over the place and business is going to be seriously affected.
2: Well, you'll be at the toll until 6 o'clock today if anybody oh, wants I, I, to I, I join I, you. People can honk right. their horn in support. Uh, and I, st-
3: I'd like to compliment uh, those who was here in the past, uh, Ken O'Healy, uh, who who uh, was here? and um, did great work every uh, the every year. New
2: Year's um, Day, yeah.
3: Also Rory more and there was lots of people. That's what we need. We need to stand for up for each other and work on this together. And uh, put pressure. That's what we want to do. Put okay. pressure on the minister. All right. And, well, you'll. Uh, transport. Uh,
2: and people can sign a petition in the town centre from tomorrow over the course of uh, this week. And then this day next week, Monday of next week, as you say, you have a public meeting in the D Hotel from 7 to 9 pm. Frank, thank God you God indeed is. for joining us on thank the programme God, this morning. You, That's yes, Frank Godfrey.
4: Michael Reed on LMFM.
2: Some comments already this morning. The bridge has to be fixed, says someone. A little extra traffic or delay is hardly a third world problem. Uh, they'll have to change the timing of uh, the traffic lights in Trinity Street to to get onto the bridge, says another listener. James says, just a, a quick, quick question: Is the Orange Order still paying for the bridge? He says, uh, if he remembers correctly, a number of years ago they got permission to go ahead and replace the bridge. Don't remember. With that James. So the second note he says, uh, I don't see why the bridge couldn't be built off site and then craned into position. Uh, well, I don't think they're uh, replacing the bridge, they're repairing it. Uh, so uh, I don't think that would be possible. Uh, Jim and Cal says Leave the cars at home and get the bicycle. Uh, and somebody else says, That was a waste of 15 minutes of my life listening to the first interview on the programme. Well, thank you for telling us. You can tell us whatever you like on the phone. So for one nine eight three two thousand text or WhatsApp 086 1800 658. Email Mike at lmfm.ie Now it's the end of the summer holidays tomorrow for TDs and Senators who sit on the Oireachtas Media Committee the committee will meet once again to discuss the scandals at RTE Shane Castles is a Fianna Fáil Senator and a member of that committee and joins us now A very good morning to you Senator Castles, thanks for taking the time to be with us on the programme today. Ryan Tuberty is gone. Are there more questions.
1: Uh, good morning, Michael. Yeah, well, I suppose, uh, as you said, tomorrow, uh, the meeting of the Oireachtas Media Committee is going to be uh, primarily looking at the second Grand Taunton report that was um, the focus of so much attention last week and which eventually led to the, uh, the leaving of, uh, or rather, maybe the potentially, supposed suppose, the, the parting of ways of Ryan Turbally with RTE uh, last week. Uh, due to the statements that he made in respect of it. Um, it's quite a lengthy document. I'm going to spend probably the rest of today as well getting ready, going through that document ahead of tomorrow and, and discussing that with members. Obviously, the key component here was the issue of payments and, and how they were facilitated to Ryan Turbidee. And that ultimately, the interpretation of that is what led to the parting of ways between Mr Toberdy and RT last week mm. as well because it seems he could not accept... Uh, that these payments were part of his overall payment. And, you know, for such a you know a high profile, for such an intelligent presenter, um, it seems kind of quite absurd uh, that he couldn't accept that that money was being paid to him as part of his deal and that was going into his bank account, which it still resides there.
2: But the Grant Thornton uh, quick... report uh, shows us very clearly, I, I think, is that RTE understated uh, the payments by... Uh, 120,000 euro, intentionally and knowingly, uh, and probably, according to Grant Thornton, to make idiots of us all, um, to pull the wool all over our eyes, to make it seem as though Ryan Turbidy was earning less than half a million when he was earning over half a, a million. And I think the next question for that is the motivation. Why did they do that? Why did they want to make Egypt out of all of us?
1: Yeah, and I think that you know there was there was huge failures on on both sides. RT have huge failures here as well, and I think that the chair of our committee has already stated that the entirety of the board, um, you know, in terms of them coming in and actually discussing their position as well, and by that I mean the the RT board, not the executive board, in in making their uh, feelings. Um, heard on the disconnect between all the different aspects of RTA so you're 100% right there was huge failings here as well in trying to misguide the public misguide uh, what exactly the payments were being made to give this perception uh, that people were under the threshold of the pay cuts that mm. they were saying that they yeah, were under- It worked though
2: I mean good job until they got caught out we were all fooled uh, we were all mugs uh, we all thought that there wasn't one individual in RTE who earned more than half a million because RTE told us and who would have disbelieved them? Who would have thought that they were so deceitful? Who would have thought that a state broadcaster, that a semi-state company could be involved in such a con job on the public?
1: It, it actually it, it didn't work because, as is the case, their books are audited, the auditor's uh, uncovered it they're also actually separately scrutinized by the controller and auditor general on the PAC so ultimately uh, it didn't work because
2: well sorry a, sorry to cut across you but I, I think the auditors approved it Deloitte have serious questions to answer you're preempting that uh, next thought uh, because Deloitte uh, gave written assurances that this was a, an okay uh, to uh, publish uh, the earnings uh, it was a bit of creative accounting if you like
1: Indeed, indeed, and they were probably then ultimately deceived as well, but I suppose further probing showed uh, that, that, it did, that it did come to life and ultimately uh, an entire board has been stood down and the highest profile presenter in the organisation uh, is gone from that organisation. Uh, and, you know, it, it's, it, apart from that, it's, it's, it's the wider residual damage now to that organisation, as, as you've discussed on your show over the last number of weeks as well, the ever uh, declining amount of revenue uh, by people uh, not renewing their TV licences, go to cause a separate crisis in itself for RTE, mm-hmm. and that's the that's the real thing that the that the minister uh, and that indeed ourselves are going to have to deal with in terms of making sure. Uh, that the future viability of the organisation is now addressed as well.
2: Yeah, well, people were very angry uh, at the amounts of money that were being paid uh, because they didn't know that amount of money was being paid. Now, I I think uh, that they're all the angrier because they've realised that not only were they made fools of, but RTE set out to make fools of them.
1: Yeah, and as I said, this this worked on both sides as well, and, and I suppose RTE... And the new Director-General has come out and said that absolutely what was going on was obviously deceitful. It was incorrect. He has stood down uh, the board. Can
2: and people trust he, him? I mean, this is the question he, that people are asking. Can they trust anybody in RTE now?
1: Well, I mean, he, he loves to be judged on, on his efforts. And in the last week, in terms of asking uh, the other parties involved, namely Ryan Truberty, to take acknowledgement of his role in all of this, and mm. I've just looked at... I suppose, how it sets out the proposed offer that was made to him, and that was the, the payroll of €420,000 per annum. But it clearly states underneath that, in the line underneath that, a commercial sponsorship with a third party, and here's the key word, facilitated by RTE to give a total of half a million uh, euro. And I mean, for Mr. Tobody not to be able to acknowledge and accept that, that that was being paid and it's entitled the proposed offer, mm. Uh, that was what Arthur you were putting on the table for him to pay the man. And it seems that he was dancing with a head of a pin again last mm. week continuously uh, and not being able to accept that, mm-hmm. that was okay. was being paid uh, to him.
2: And Kevin Backhurst said, fair enough, if that's your position, it's not one that we can live with. See you later close the door behind you but is that enough uh, for people who aren't paying the television license who are so angry i'm sure there's lots of reasons for people not paying the television license but i'm sure some of them aren't paying it because they are so angry uh, and are saying to themselves why should i pay 160 euro a, a year to those well-heeled no walls when all they're doing is trying to make an Egypt out of me has backhurst done a, a, enough to change that uh, and will people start to buy uh, their tv license once again
1: well, I don't, think one singular, um, I don't think one singular thing is going to actually make people change their mind that there has been some kind of major uh, change within ORT. Of course not. People aren't foolish. they're not going to see that. But what it is, what it was indicative was that he was prepared to take that decision to say, I'm prepared to show leadership. He was also acknowledging there was huge internal anger among his own staff within ORT that didn't want to see Ryan Tuberty walking back in the door also. He was very cognizant of that. Uh, so it was a very fine act, or a very fine balancing act. I think it was a hugely important uh, statement of intent by the man. I don't think it's going to change uh, public opinion overnight, but it was a huge statement of intent in the manner in which he intends to do his business uh, within RTE.
2: Okay, but uh, if people don't buy their TV licence, if they don't renew their licence or buy a new one, uh, I mean, RTE cannot uh, exist as it's currently structured. It's losing a million euro a a week, Uh, what next? Uh, how can you fund RTE? Uh, it would seem that if this continues, that the day of the television licence is soon to be behind us.
1: Yeah, but I mean, that that obviously was addressed in the, in the future of the Media Commission report as well. That's going to be addressed now by a separate group that Catherine Martin, the Minister for Media, is looking at as well. Uh, of course, if you're losing that amount of money every week, um, it's not sustainable. There's no immediate financial... Um, danger to RT from now to the end of the year, but I mean, the longer term scenario, and it's not just about RT, and I've written about this and raised this as well. There's a huge independent TV market uh, within this country as well that produce many of the uh, well-known homegrown shows, Uh, and they support uh, an entire TV industry, radio industry, uh, and they also employ a huge amount of people. So there's many, many other jobs and a whole other industry Uh, at stake here in producing good TV um, dramas, sports shows, whatever, uh, for consumption by the Irish uh, public. And that's important as well. What is going to be crucial now is making sure, and I think the speed at which Mr. Backhurst is acting is indicative of this, is that decisions are taken quickly so that the long-term viability of the organisation, and whatever that might be, whether Mm -hmm. that is a case that it becomes completely publicly funded or there is a scenario, that there is still a commercial element as well. Remember, that makes up around €150, €160 million Euro, yeah. um, as well. So it can't be, it's not a thing that it can be sneezed at. Do, you, do you want to hear from the
2: Minister sneeze. on this? Or do you want to hear from the Minister on anything? Because the Minister has <laughs> fallen silent in recent times. Perhaps she's on her holidays, but there's been criticism of how Catherine Martin has been missing. Uh, do you want to hear from her this week?
1: Yeah, well, I think uh, it would be important in terms of, uh, of 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 guidance as well, in terms of where... Her, her uh, position at Cabinet and being the person in charge also sees uh, this playing out because I think that uh, time is of the essence as well. I think time and space needs to be given to Kevin Backhurst as well in, in putting in place the changes that he needs so that when he goes to um, not just Catherine Martin but indeed Michael McGrath as Minister for Finance to say, OK, we 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 need assistance of this magnitude in terms of making sure that RTE is kept afloat from now to uh, this time next year, but then in the longer term reforms of what we require, uh, we require a root and branch uh, look at RTE again. And all of those have to put on the table. And the public need to be shown that as well, because I was just making the point, Michael, there, mm. that the commercial revenue for RTE brings in €160 million. Euro. If that is the case that we go to a fully publicly funded model, well, obviously that €160 million has to be found through uh, the taxpayer mm. as well. So I think You know, all of that has to be put on the table in terms of this discussion because people need to be aware of how much this is going to cost.
2: Yeah, and part of that cost has been the cut that talent agents take. Should talent agents be taken out of the picture that negotiations should be with staff directly and that salary shouldn't be over 200000
1: Yeah, well, I, I absolutely, I mean, and look, this is just a personal opinion, I absolutely think it is crazy, crazy in a small country like ours that we have, um, people requiring uh, agents to do business with RTE. I think people uh, should be well-placed to go. And as was the case when Ryan Turbidey was going back in to negotiate with Kevin Backhurst, and uh, which they had agreed that he was coming back on air on September the 4th. He was taking a reduction to, one. if you call it that, a reduction to €170,000 right. a year. It was still over €3,000 a week. He didn't do too bad negotiating for himself. Um, that's my personal opinion. I think Mr Backhurst shares that opinion as well. Uh, and quite frankly, I, I think it is a case that in, in the majority of cases, uh, people employed within the organisation should be uh, on a staff basis. Um, obviously, there'll be scenarios where you have high-profile people that work in the journalism world and other aspects, and they come in just to host uh, one show a week or something like that. People like maybe Tommy Tiernan, who does, does a show separately, stuff like that. But no, I, I, I think a scenario where you have agents who were, you know, taking a fifteen percent cut for themselves. Uh was a crazy scenario in a small country like our own.
2: OK, we leave it there for the moment. Thank you, as always. That's Fianna Fáil Senator Shane Castles. Michael,
4: Michael Reid on, on
2: LMFM. FM. Well, house prices and the cost of renting continue uh, to go up. Uh, they remain high and uh, this is due to persistent shortfalls in supply. In 2022, new housing completions increased by about 40% to almost 30,000. However, this was in part driven by pent-up deliveries due to to pandemic delays and if you look at the fall in housing commencements and planning permissions in the second half of 2022 you could be forgiven for thinking that completions might fall next year then take the rising population that is adding to the demand for housing in this country and how that will lead to an extremely tight rental market and soaring house prices It suggests that the initial housing targets, which are set out in the Housing for All plan, of 33,000 new homes a year might need to be revised upwards substantially. I don't know if that sounds like something from the opposition. It's actually the view of the European Commission as set out in its country report for Ireland. Keane O'Callaghan is uh, the spokesperson on housing for the Social Democrats and on the line. And uh, a very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. I take it there's little surprise from your perspective at what the European Commission is saying about the housing crisis in this country.
5: Good morning, Michael. There isn't, I, I guess, this actually, you know, corresponds with really what everybody is saying. There's a the consensus, uh, including in the government, that the government's housing targets are insufficient, are too low, won't meet demand. I don't think you'll find anyone in the country now who uh, defends the uh, government housing targets, including the, the government. The shock is on the record saying that they're too low. He's been saying this for quite some time, uh, saying that they need to be at least between uh, at least 40,000 uh, new homes a year, and he's mentioned uh, figures of 60,000 new homes uh, a year. So th- there's no one in the country actually defending a, a housing output targets of about 33,000 a year. And yet, the, the officially, the government targets uh, are still set at that level. And officially, uh, under their plans, we won't reach uh, the minimum of 40,000 new built homes needed a year until. Uh, 2030, you know, the end of the decade. So, look, it doesn't make sense if, if everybody in the country has agreed that those targets are too low, including the government themselves. It just doesn't make sense to be sticking uh, with targets that nobody uh, believes are, uh, you know, it's not even ambitious enough, realistic enough to, to meet the, uh, the you know, the basic level of demand there. So I, I think the government needs to start kind of talking about the targets being too low as they have been and actually just re- revise them upwards. If we don't start from a position of, Uh, having a a target that we know that is going to help meet demand. We don't start from that position where, you know, Hmm. we're really in a a, a bad place. Uh, You have to start with a a realistic target in terms of meeting uh, meeting the needs.
2: And targets are, are, are one thing. Delivery is a, another thing. Uh, you can set all the targets in the world uh, that you like, uh, but achieving those targets uh, may be beyond our wherewithal. And I, I think that probably is one of uh, the concerns, is it not?
1: Yeah, and, and I think
5: because, yeah, absolutely right. Look, setting targets is the easy part. And setting realistic targets is the easy part. So delivery is is the more challenging thing. If your targets are wrong, though, you're, you're wrong on, on day one. You're wrong from the start. I, I do think we have the, the wherewithal. I I think we can uh, we can do this. You know, look look Ireland when we had much less resources, we were able to do incredible things in terms of meeting uh, housing needs. Uh, you know, and we did that for most of the the 20th century. We literally got people out of slums and tenements and very poor uh, mm. housing conditions into good, high quality. Uh, housing when the country has very little resources so look if we could do that when we've very little resources and we've got a lot more resources at our disposal now uh, of course we we, we can achieve this uh, and it can be done but it does mean systematically working through all the different uh, blockages it's look it's not a question of a lack of uh, financing we know that there's been about a billion euro in the housing budgets in the last few years actually not spent uh, and underspent it's a question of getting the delivery and unblocking uh, blockages in, in, in the system. For example, uh, there's issues sometimes around uh, getting infrastructure in place with land so we can put in housing. But there are ways of unlocking that. There, uh, there. You know, if the private sector isn't always able to do that, or if local like, mm. authorities aren't always able to do that, you can. For example, there is a, a you know a company set up specifically for this uh, purpose uh, by Cork County Council with with some. Uh, Government funding through the Ireland, Irish Chief Investment Fund and doing work on, on infrastructure, on land uh, in Loud and in Dock to get uh, more housing and stream, That's quite uh, successful. So, you know, all these blockages, if there's the will uh, and enough relentless focus on it, I I don't see why we can't, uh, how we can't overcome them. Mm, uh, do we planning,
2: are planning laws are,
5: are well able to do that uh,
2: uh, without amending planning laws.
5: Uh, I, look, there's a whole range of issues in, in planning, and actually the European Union report, one of the things that highlights is planning permissions last year was, was down 20%, and it's one of the things they flagged the main reason uh, planning permissions were down last year is because Inboard Planala was under resource last year as people were resigning off the board. Uh, for some reason I'll never understand the government weren't uh, replacing them, that created a huge uh, backlog uh, in Inboard all that is only now getting uh, tackled. And I appreciate there was uh significant issues uh in on board for last year but that does not mean when someone resigned that you don't replace them and you don't get enough planning decisions made so mm. that's that is of critical importance that you hire enough people in on board smaller and local authorities and planners uh, so you can get planning decisions uh, quickly uh, and that we invest much more in forward uh planning so getting you know the kind of master plans in place in advance so that reduces uh, conflict and uh, litigation and delays. Uh, if you do that well, so we've been under-investing in planning, for planning in particular, and that's caused a lot of uh, problems. There is a surplus of of planning permissions at the moment, so I, d- I don't think it's the biggest uh, issue, actually, what's stalling a lot of uh, projects, mm. uh, is is financing. Um, and again, you we've had you know we've had a recent uh, report uh, showing that uh, Ireland's been very poor at drawing down a lot of financing available for. From the European Union uh, that can go into uh, housing, as compared to other European countries. Mm. Uh, European countries were very, very poor at that. So there's a lot of different supports okay. financing streams available uh, that That's, we need to be much more mm. focused and serious on in terms of drawing down. And actually, that was a that was a you know a, a report uh, that was a, 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 you know government MEP uh, saw that report. Mm.
2: I, I'm very surprised by that because uh, I'd have thought uh, that the country was awash with money and that there was a lot of money to be made in construction
5: Yeah I well, would well, like one of the key issues in, in housing is that the, the last financial collapse is that banks don't really lend into housing and don't lend into construction and they do in a very uh, limited way I mean that's why we've seen a lot of finance coming in from international uh, investment funds and, and REITs and that causes issues because they don't invest in uh, housing that people can buy. They do the investment rental uh, only schemes. So you, there's lots of, of finance, but the the finance that used to go into into housing uh, from banks uh, wasn't properly uh, replaced. There's a huge amount available, uh, you know, from uh, European sources that you can put as well into social and affordable mm. uh, housing. But we haven't we haven't maxed uh, that out. So you you would if you look at a lot of the sites, you know, for example, there is about. Uh, 50,000 uh, apartments for applying permission in the Dublin area in fully serviced land that haven't been started uh, and it would be financing holding holding those schemes okay. uh, back. It wouldn't be applying permission or infrastructure or anything else. Mm. Or, the, or even the ability to get a okay. labor force, even though that can be a challenge as well. So that, mm. that is one of the critical areas that needs to be... Uh, it needs to be on
2: okay. Lock. very interesting our, our time has run out as, uh, on us uh, unfortunately uh, but thank you uh, indeed uh, as always for joining us uh, Keane the crises continue but criticism this time oddly enough from uh, the European Commission thank you as I say to Keane O'Callaghan who is the Social Democrats spokesperson on housing Michael,
4: Michael Reed on, on LMFM FM. Dr
2: Michael Shine as you know was an Irish consultant surgeon who worked at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital a prominent figure in uh, the field of orthopaedic surgery in this country, Shine is notorious locally. Hundreds of allegations of sexual abuse and misconduct have been made against him over several decades in the hospital and at his private practice in the town. The case of Michael Shine and the allegations of sexual abuse and misconduct against him has raised significant concerns about how victims are ignored or not adequately supported, particularly where he operated in Drogheda. There were allegations that the hospital and healthcare institutions where Shine worked did not adequately respond to or investigate complaints against them. The failure to address allegations effectively contributed to a culture of impunity. The nuns didn't listen. The doctors didn't listen. The Gardaí didn't listen. The politicians didn't listen. The people of Drogheda didn't just not listen, they were very quick to defend Shine as an upstanding member of the community and equally quick to condemn those who said He was a paedophile who abused them when they were children or young men. Michael Shine's story underscores the importance of creating safe reporting mechanisms and ensuring accountability. But it also highlights the importance of providing support for victims of abuse, particularly when allegations involve individuals in positions of authority or trust. History is repeating itself in Drogheda. Victims of child sexual abuse have been asking for more than six months to meet with uh, the elected councillors in the Drogheda area. Most of the councillors have failed to meet with these men who were raped and sexually abused as young children. Most of the councillors don't want to know. The victims have been asking uh, the councillors to rescind the freedom of Drogheda that was bestowed on Brother Edmund Garvey in 1997 because of a legal strategy that was introduced by Brother Garvey to defend the order from having to pay redress or compensation to the victims of paedophiles who have been convicted who have spent time in prison or otherwise but were found guilty through the courts. Many of them uh, admitted to the abuse. There's 10 councillors in the Drogheda region uh, and just one of the 10 has met with the victims who uh, have asked for their help, who have asked to be listened to. Uh, We've uh, contacted each of uh, the 10 councillors over the course of uh, the last few days because in two weeks from today, the 10 councillors are going to vote on a motion which will relate in some way to rescinding the freedom of Drogheda on Brother Garvey. He may be asked uh, to hand it back. He may not be asked at all. Uh, I'm going to go through each of the councillors one by one to let you know uh, as their constituents the current position. Pio Smith, Labour Party councillor, has spoken about this before, uh, has told this programme that he has no further comment for the moment. Joanna Byrne is Sinn Féin councillor uh, who says she will speak to the programme but wants uh, to see the agenda which is expected to be given to councillors today or sometime before Wednesday and will speak to us when she's seen the agenda and knows exactly what they're being asked to vote on. Independent councillor Kevin Callan has no comment. A strange and peculiar position but that is at the position of Kevin Callan, no comment. James Byrne, uh, Fianna Fáil councillor, uh, is on leave and uh, will come back to us uh, when he returns uh, from holiday. Independent councillor Paddy McQuillan uh, has spoken on this before and says uh, that at the moment he has nothing more to add. Emma Cutlop is a Labour Party councillor who has told us uh, that she will consider our request to discuss this on the programme, but she wants to consult with her Labour Party councillors before making a decision on that. Eileen Tully is a Finnegal councillor and the Mayor of Drada who has not responded in any way whatsoever to calls, texts or emails from this programme. Michelle Hall is a Labour Party councillor who has not responded uh, to our invitation to speak about this in any way whatsoever. Tom Cunningham, similar, a Sinn councillor who has not responded to us and Declan Power, an independent councillor has not responded to us at all. As I, I say Uh, We wanted to ask them about uh, the position on uh, the request from victims and as to whether they would meet with victims. Just one of the 10 has met with victims and there is a wall of silencers.
3: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
6: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Actually,
2: uh, what I've been describing as a, a brick wall trying to get to talk to anybody about... What victims are saying. Let's speak uh, to uh, a victim of uh, sexual abuse, uh, not at the hands of Christian Brothers, but of Michael Shine. Uh, Pat Cusick is on the line. Uh, And a very good morning to you, Pat, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, You're aware of what's happening in Drogheda. Uh, as I say, to my mind, there's parallels between what's happening to this group of victims of child sexual abuse now uh, and what happened to you and others who were abused by Michael Shine. in that, for decades, the victims were not listened to. Would you agree?
7: Unfortunately, well, Michael, I want to uh, commend yourself and, again, the station for your... Um downright determination to reveal the truth as regards what's going on in our society. It's damning to hear that opening line that you just made. Of course, I knew what was coming up, but to hear the response from the councillors just brings it all back. And I'm just going to say, I'm not a the man, but I'm going to say, I don't know, I know a couple of these people, but I'm going to say shame on all... Shame on all who had made no comment. Shame who, who who wouldn't answer. That's exactly the same way it was for all the shame victims. In my own case, 1974, when it happened all the way through my youth, until eventually we were in contact with John 2009, when the primetime program came out, even when it came out and all the evidence was there. No one wanted to know. Heads in the sand. And even right up until a further 10 years of absolute frustration, procrastination, denial, no comments, no response, on leave, whatever other excuse to gave, was the same for me until 2019. Um, but we got our day in court eventually, but that was no consolation to any of the victims. And I feel so, so sad for... All the victims of the CBS and the CBS are doing themselves no Christian brothers are doing themselves no favour at all by by this um, their policy. Draw on the county council. I'll I, draw the council. I can't believe their their stance on this. I, I, I'll read one thing. Yeah, the High Court Justice Sean Ryan in two thousand nine, he revealed the report on Ireland's Commission to inquire into child abuse. An official document is out there in the front. And the main finding of the report, and I want each of those councils, who I am sure will be available to listen to your show this morning, to listen to this couple of lines. The Christian Brothers, it was found that molestation and rape were endemic in boys' facilities run by the Christian Brothers' order, and that their supervisors pursued policies that increased the danger. We just like that one line, that, that, that couple of lines, that's fact. Never disputed. But during this policy, when, when this when this commission was going ahead, in 2004, the Christian Brothers took the commission to court to prevent any names being revealed, any names of the order, either living or dead, or pass, in 2004. They're change in their policy on that. And that comes down to the man in question here, Edmund Garvey, who was awarded in 1997, he was awarded the Freedom of Drogheda. Now, that's a, it's a nice award and everything else for a man who was born in Drogheda, and I'm sure uh, at the time seemed to be doing very well. He eventually went on to become the head of the order, and in 2017, he was the head of the order when they adopted a new litigation uh, strategy, which meant, we can hear this, that they would not adopt a nominee to face up to civil cases, refused to do, do so, and this has now been continued by Gibson, who is now the head. But they've actually refused to do so. Now they insist that if any actions has been taken against the order, it, it's to be taken against every member of the order.
2: The victims call this a, a double abuse because it makes it impossible to seek redress. Do you understand what the victims mean by that as someone who was a victim yourself of uh, abuse who received
7: redress? I think the people have to realise that this is all part and this is as endemic as the abuse was. I mean, uh, being endemic is that it it, it, it is a continuation of frustration, procrastination, minimisation, denial. And and, and the only one at the end of this who suffers is the victim again. These guys aren't bothered about this. They will adopt every single strategy of the day to frustrate any settlement. But in these cases, This is even worse, because in these cases, these people have been found guilty. Jack Manning, Kendrick, all these guys, they were all found guilty, convicted, sent to jail in the public record. They even admitted some of their offences. And here we go again. We're going to procrastinate, drag it all out, just when the victims get some sort of closure. Pat, they denied them the final closure, which is let them get on with their lives. It's, it's yeah, it's unreal. It's, it's unreal, Michael. And here we go again, Pat. You'd I the, would appeal to each and every councillor there: Smith, Bourne, Callum, Bourne, McQuillan, all the rest of the names, totally the whole lot.
2: Pat, you you're the, the supporter of dignity for patients, uh, as many victims of Michael Shine had. Uh, And I want to send best wishes to Adrienne, uh, the CEO uh, who's uh, recovering uh, uh, and wish her good health um, this morning. Uh, But in her absence um, the organisation has um, not been in a position to make a statement in relation to how this group of victims are being ignored. I'm going to speak to Damien in a moment. I don't think that the, the, the victims are, are telling councillors what to do or saying what they should be doing. I, I think they appreciate that that's a decision the councillors would like to make. But the victims are saying, would you meet with us and talk to us and listen to us and inform yourself, fully inform yourself so that you can hear all sides of the argument because there are people lobbying against this. Uh, but the councillors are refusing to do that. Uh, we've had at least one incident of a councillor telling us as a media organisation No comment, which is a remarkable position, but a position they're entitled to take, and that is their position. Um, But Dignity for Patients, uh, under the circumstances, um, can't make a a statement on this. But in your experience uh, as a member of Dignity for Patients, who knows all the members of Dignity for Patients, how do you think the members of Dignity for Patients feel about the way the counsellors are treating this group of victims of child sexual abuse?
7: for dignity for patients was a huge help to many, many victims. And the most important thing is victims, victims of sexual abuse. These guys are jumping on the bandwagon for, for breaking a finger or, or, or tripping up on a footpath. These are people who are victims of gross sexual abuse. That's how each and every, every single victim will regurgitate this morning when they hear this. It happens every single time. You'll see a bad taste in your mouth and say, here you go again. And I would appeal to each and every one of them councillors, if they don't want to meet someone, and if they don't want to meet a specific victim of of the Christian brothers, I'll sit in front of them, and I'll talk to them, and I'll tell them the experience of gross sexual abuse and and what it does and, and, and Uh, Ramifications for you, your family and for the rest of your life we get a life sentence, they get about uh, three years Uh, we get a life sentence I'm 61, I set up my life sentence I got my life sentence in 1974 serial killers don't get, you know what I mean so every single victim and every single member who had gone to dignity for will feel the same and I again want to wish uh, Adrian all the best but all the victims need support on this, and every time this—if this goes through and that's not rescinded or whatever the motion is—the um, longer that Edmund Garvey has has the freedom to draw it. So, oh, holy God, let's go ahead. So, give give uh, freedom of the city or freedom of the town, whatever your status is at the moment. Let's give it to Michael Shine as well. How would they feel? You know, it's, okay, it's,
2: Pat, it's, it's, that it's sums it up.
7: Si- it's very sinister, Michael, that's all I could say. Sinister covers a lot of different oh. uh, concepts. So, okay. But it's sinister to me, and it's awful to treat victims. These guys are all victims. These people are all victims of abuse.
2: Pat, I have to leave it there for this morning. I do appreciate you taking the call and uh, taking the time to talk to us. It's always good to talk to you, Pat, you know that. On the final
7: line, Michael, thank you so much to you in the station. And for all those out there, be strong, keep your chin up.
2: Thank you indeed. Pat Cusack.
4: Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM,
2: LMFM. Now, Let's speak to Damien O'Farlow who represents uh, men who were abused as children by uh, Christian brothers and uh, as uh, I was spe- saying earlier on uh, to Pat Cusack, uh, Damien uh, uh, there's 10 councillors who will have a vote on whether to rescind the freedom of uh, Drogheda was and Brother Garvey in 1997 in uh, two weeks from today uh, Am I correct in saying that you've met with just one of the 10 councillors?
6: That's right yeah uh, Paddy McQuillan uh, was good enough um, to to attend we had a meeting councillors or victims came from around the country and we had a meeting in in uh, Drogheda in mm-hmm. the Boyne Valley and we invited we gave the councillors 9 days notice mm-hmm. and we invited them all and uh, from Drada uh, yeah. five councillors yeah. attended but from Drada Paddy McQuillan attended okay and we thought we'd try and get some comment from the councillors we haven't done very well either uh, which is a bit uh, uh, unusual so what's the next step well I've waited Ten months, I suppose, uh, and victims have waited ten months for the penny to drop with councillors, and it's not going to drop. And we don't believe it is going to drop with them about victims. What what our predicament is? We know about Brother Garvey's predicament, but we don't. We want to talk about what our predicament is, and we've waited ten months, and and the penny is not going to drop with the councillors. It's not going to drop in the next two weeks. And I want to talk to the public. Um, I want to talk to the people of Drada I want to talk to victims of sexual abuse out there. So last October, I wrote to um, Mayor um, Michelle Hall. Uh, she's the mayor of Dromahesh, and I and I mentioned in my correspondence that she was also at um, the time um, she'd be in the mirror, yeah, yeah at the time she was the mayor, and I mentioned in my correspondence that she was also the chair of the um, the Rape Crisis Centre in North East, and her her aim for the year was to uh, make tra- Drada a trauma informed town. So in my letter, um, I I was really hopeful that she would speak to me. Uh, she would listen to victims. Um, she would listen to the case that we were put forward. But in that in that letter that I wrote her, I had a document in it, and it detailed the experiences of a, of, a, of a, a victim through the litigation strategy of the brothers. It was a three. It was. It took me three days to put the information together. I had to get it cross checked by solicitors. I couldn't believe it. It was incredulous what was going on in three days. So I sent that to her as well. And two months later, just before Christmas, I got a reply back. Um, and she's the mayor of Drogheda now she was then and she's the first citizen of Drogheda and the, the, the reply was and I don't say this lightly it was pathetic um, it was about eight or nine lines and it was some legalistic stuff and it didn't mention the victims everything that I wrote to her about was about victims about victims not about Brother Garvey it was about victims and it was just, just the response It was just it was just pathetic you know so I wrote to her back a couple of days later. Um, I said I wasn't happy with the, with the response. I said I couldn't give this to the, to the victims just before Christmas. This was in the t- 20th round of December. I couldn't give this to the victims just before Christmas. Um, it just wasn't acceptable. They hadn't offered them any, any support um, to meet with them, um, any support, any practical help to write to the brothers, nothing. Mm. Nothing at all and just totally disregarded and shunned. And I was quite upset and I wrote back and I copied that email uh, to all the councillors in Drada and not one of them um, responded. Mayor, Mayor Hall didn't respond mm. and nobody responded. Mm. And that was the end of it. And then I contacted um, RTE then, I think it was primetime then, took it on board and they had a, pro- a programme then, a shocking programme that has since won an award for human for human justice that was in the beginning of February. And I was on your show um, after um, after that. I think it was on the 9th of February I was on your show. Mm. I didn't go to the media. I didn't speak to anyone. From the time I wrote to Councillor Hall in, in October till the time I was on your show, it was all under wraps. I was, I was giving them ch- a chance to um, respecting them. Mm. I couldn't have been nicer in my correspondence with them. So I was on your show then. It sort of kicked off then in this area. In April then, um, some victims wrote... Um, to to Mayor Hall again as I say she's chairperson of the rape crisis center they wanted to meet there was a, a wife some of some of these were late were ladies they were um wives of mm. of victims you know uh, one, and one and they wanted to meet her and uh, and at the end of all that there was no meeting took place mm. she never spoken as far as i know and i'd mm. love her to come on and mm. You know, say what she has to say. Yeah, uh, she's never spoken to, to a victim mm, of, of the people that I represent that are going through this litigation strategy. Right. Uh,
2: and you contacted uh, Michelle Hall because she was the mayor at the time and yeah. that's why you're focusing yeah. on her. Yeah, yeah she, absolutely. But, but, yeah. but, but,
6: but uh,
2: she, as a, a councillor now she's not the only councillor who didn't meet with you. There's nine out no, of ten councillors yeah, who I'm, didn't yeah, meet I'm with you. Yeah, I'm coming to that. Mm. So
6: then the victims mm. then, um, and the reason this lady wrote to her, she was a woman to woman. You know, that's what she thought that she'd, she'd do. And she was the mayor. But then the, the victims, the victims decided, not me, the victims decided that they would come to Drada. So they booked the, Vine, the Boyne Valley Hotel at their own expense. They gave nine days notice to councillors. They invited all the councillors in loud to come. Nine days notice. I think when Biden was here, they probably got a few hours notice where, where to meet. And nine days notice. And um, they didn't. Uh, five councillors turned up and one from Drada. Just one. That's Paddy just McQuillan. one. That's just Paddy one McQuillan of the ten, Yeah, yeah. And he, mm-hmm. he listened, and he's been very supportive since since then. You know, he he's heard, he's listened. You know, he's and and and, mm. and, and, and fair play to him. So then, um, so 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 that so that happened then, and just before that meeting, um, one of our one of our people uh, wrote to the council because we weren't really getting any responses back. We asked people to RSVP, and we weren't getting any responses back. So we wrote out to 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 the chief whips in the area asking. Um, could you send at least one representative from party? And from one chief whip, we got back an abusive text basically telling us where to go. Victims. that This is disgraceful. This is absolutely disgraceful. And I don't say this lightly on your programme. So the meeting took place and, as I said, there was five there and victims came from around the country. And that, that, that basically... And then I've been on your show several times. Um, I wrote to um, Mayor Tully about a month ago, the new mayor, about a month ago, um, uh, congratulating her on her new position. I said, we possibly will have another meeting in the end of August, maybe, before the before the rescindment comes up to, to to have another go. But she never responded. Um, and again, it's the same, ne- never responded. So the victims, then, I I brought that back to the victims and they don't really want, they're not coming to draw it again, you know. Well, I, and, and that's why I want mm. to speak to... um. They, they're not going to be made fools of, like, you know, mm. one, one, one lady... Just one lady asked me to read out at that letter, to read out a letter at that um, meeting that she wasn't going to bring her, um, her husband... She, her husband was from the South She wasn't going to bring her um, husband to that meeting because Drada wasn't a safe space. And he wasn't going to come up to Drada to beg councillors to do the right thing by rescinding the um, the freedom mm from Brother Garfield. So well, that's up to the councillors, of course, yeah. to
2: decide. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, um, yeah. But what you're looking for is the opportunity so to lay out your soul. You believe that's the right thing, uh, but you want them to hear that uh, case and allow you to make that case and then to make up their own minds. Uh, but... Uh, One of um, the things uh, that has struck me in in relation to this is uh, that you're not from Drogheda. Uh, uh, There's one of the people who you represent who's from County Louth, but uh, there's about 30 people in all, uh, and otherwise everybody's not from Drogheda. Um, And what's been said to me is that there's victims of Christian brothers in Drogheda who don't want this to happen, who are getting some compensation through some form of mediation. Uh, They say this will re-traumatise them and they also claim that it will stop other victims from Drogheda uh, from getting compensation and that the councillors should be representing
6: the victims in Drogheda, not the likes of you from outside of the town. Yeah, no no victims from Drada have got in touch, have got in touch with me, no Christian brothers. And I would love them to get in touch with me or you through the show. And I, I would lo- I'd love to hear from them because I respect their opinions. But they shouldn't be afraid that if one set of victims, if you know, want to the, the, the thing rescinded from Drada that, that they would be affected. Like how how I don't understand how they would be affected, that they feel that there'd be a backlash from the order. And just to put a, a couple of points, just to clarify a few points, there's no um, Mediation or redress uh, settlement being on offer from the brothers, unless you have third party representation. So, there's I, I understood that these people, if you don't use a solicitor, if you keep a solicitor out of it, which they're saying they're doing, you get more money. We keep them out. There isn't that the, the brothers don't offer that. If you because I've tried to do that, if you approach the brothers, their policy is that everybody has to have third party legal representation, and that's only right. And, and brother, uh, and Brother, Ev, Bishop Archbishop Jermot Martin explained that to me years ago when I tried to do it with the Dublin Diocese. Um, it's, it's to protect the victim. Mm. It's to protect the victim. They don't deal with victims without the person having third party, because mm. then you'll be saying you'll be taking advantage of that person, you know. And none of the people that I represent, none of the people that I have have been offered mediation by the order, mm. by the order, not by individual, by the order. You know, because they haven't set, they haven't put forward a nomination. They're not in order for, for, you know, know, none of Mm. them have that. So if there's victims in in Drada that are being treated in a different way, and and I I don't know if there might be some misunderstanding. They may have Mm. some misunderstanding there, but I would really love to hear them. And I really respect them. Yeah. And and I'd love to I'd love to hear from them and and I'd love the the counsellors to tell us what they're saying and yeah. all that you know. But mm. and to but understand I think, it yourself. Yes, uh, but yeah, I think there yeah, may be some mm-hmm. misunderstanding. I'm doing this. I'm dealing with the Christian Brothers yeah. for thirty years. And I fairly know how they operate. Okay, So you'd like to hear from the councillors
2: on that. Or yeah. if there are victims yeah, in that you'd like to hear from yeah. that. You started off, uh, and maybe we could conclude on this, because you started off by saying you wanted to speak to
6: people listening to us this morning. But the people listening to us this morning won't be voting on this in two weeks. No, and, and I'd like them maybe to contact their councillors. You've named all the councillors there. There's 10 councillors in Drada And, and would they, what, what do they think of the people in Draw? Are they happy enough that their, that their public reps won't speak? won't speak to um won't speak to victims. Is that the way they want to be represented? Is that the way they want their first citizen to be represented? To represent them. I understood there was going to be a welcome for people in Drada. We haven't been welcomed. We've been the door has been shut on our faces. And I and I just want to say as well, before I conclude, that there's staff members in the Rape Crisis Center. Um, have been excellent two staff members have reached out to us uh, one attended a meeting of 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 Loud County Council i think she couldn't believe the, t- the amount of toxicity that was in her room it was so aggressive that Maeve Yore, our, our advocate uh, councillor has been treated disgracefully disgracefully like she was told by uh, councillor callan that she's operating a kangaroo court in the in the council that the, the, the victims found that very very um hurt mm. they were very very hurt by that that, that we would do that that we would operate a kangaroo court somewhere. We just want to be heard, and we deserve to be heard, and we're VIPs. The people I represent are VIPs. They're VIPs, and they're being treated disgracefully. Disgracefully. We had hoped that we would have had at least one
2: councillor with us on the programme this morning. It hasn't been possible in the case of... Kevin Callan at least, uh, no comment uh, which means he won't be making any comment on it to this programme. We hope that some of the councillors will speak to us over the course of uh, the next couple of of weeks. Uh, But as uh, a reporter in all of uh, this, uh, Damien, your group uh, would appear to me to be the third group of victims of sexual uh, abuse, uh, beg your pardon, of abuse um, that uh, have been shunned by Drogheda. Drogheda is shunning your group, officialdom in Drogheda is shunning your group uh, and that is uh, the group of councillors uh, and uh, what the councillors might do after they speak to you, if they were ever to speak to you, is obviously uh, exclusively their right um, but they're uh, not in my mind informing themselves if they don't hear your argument uh, about a subject that you've asked to be brought to a vote before they vote on it. Um, I say you're the third group of damaged people who've been shunned by officialdom in Drogheda it happened with Michael Neary Uh, anybody who spoke up for the victims was shunned as well It happened with Michael Shine and like that, anybody who spoke up for the victims was shunned uh, and it appears to be the case in uh, this particular story with victims of child sexual abuse. It's far from ideal. I'm not sure if people in Drada are happy with that. Certainly some people in Drada are happy with that, but this vote will take place in two weeks. Uh, Perhaps we can come back to you uh, before then, Damien, uh, and speak to you again. Uh, But to
6: conclude... Um, You have that message uh, for people this morning. Yeah, I do. I do have that message. And I want to say to the the people in Drahada as well about Brother Garvey um, is not blameless in this. His actions have been wrong on every level. He presided, he has presided over and has authority over an appalling litigation strategy that the brothers, he made this choice in the full knowledge of the consequences that victims have, victims that have been raped and tortured. And his his actions have, have added harm and trauma to these people. And he was asked to pull back by victims. He was asked to pull back by a government minister. And he didn't. He didn't. Dis- he disregarded the victims the exact same way as the councillors are disregarding them. And I want to say to the people of Drada, if you're listening, can you please contact these councillors and tell them what you think? You, is this another Michael Neary? Are we going to be treated the same as, as Neary's uh, victims? And we're definitely being treated the same way as uh, Michael Shine's victims. And I want to say to... Um, Dignity for Patients as well. We would appreciate your support and also the Rape Crisis Centre. Thank you for the support you've given us and we would appreciate your support now in the next two weeks. Thank you. Okay, thank you indeed. Damien O'Farrell.
4: Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM
2: now to a fatal road traffic collision involved two e-scooters and a car on Saturday night. Uh, the accident happened uh, not far from uh, where Pat O'Shocknessy LMFM reporter lives. Pat is on the line. Good morning Pat. Thanks for joining us under such tragic circumstances. What more can you tell us about this incident?
0: Well there is an ongoing investigation Michael as you know when the road was closed for um, all, all, all yesterday and, and, of course, Saturday night to investigate the circumstances of the accident that tragically took Sifat producer's life, a young Nigerian man who came a year ago to live in Dundalk in the direct provision centre that was formerly Cairnbeg Hotel in Sportsman's Hall. Uh, all we do know at the moment, uh, it, it, was, it was a tragic scene. As you can imagine, on Saturday night, with all of the emergency service services present and nobody really known, what went on and the, Im- the immediate selfish thought of anybody who lived in the area was it somebody that they knew, was it somebody that belonged to them because it is a very dangerous very fast road, a very dark road indeed and then slowly the news uh, came out that it was unfortunately safe producer from Algeria who had only been in the country for a year Michael. Mm,
2: 26 years of age, such a such a young man, such a, a tragic lot loss of, of life uh, he he was riding. He was one of the e-scooter riders. Uh, 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 two uh, e-scooters involved in this collision with a car, and I think all three individuals—the uh, two e-scooter riders and indeed the motorist—were uh, all in their twenties.
0: Correct. Yeah, and and it's it's a it's a wider tragedy. I mean, it's a shocking tragedy for Stephen's family, of course. Whenever they do find out the information, and I'm sure that's been worked on at the moment. Um, and there's not an awful lot known about his his background, other than he came here for a year. But the other families as well, the the injured parties. I mean, the young driver. I mean, that's it, it's a dreadful tragedy for any young person to be involved in an incident like this. You know, that's going to mark on their lives. And these are the things I think that are sometimes forgotten in, in accidents like this. You know, the wider implications, the ramifications, the effect on people's lives. Um, it's it's not just the family who have... Sadly, been bereaved in this tragic accident. It's it's all of those involved, um, and it, it it is a very dangerous section of road. It has to be said, Michael.
2: Mm, oh, absolutely, and I think anybody familiar with uh, the stretch of road uh, would be very much aware of that, and would. Uh, be questioning uh, the circumstances of uh, the collision perhaps uh, for uh, another day there's a a discussion about uh, the safety of e-scooters or where they're ridden but maybe that's something today for people who use e-scooters to think uh, about. What do we know about Siffy? As you say there's not a a lot known about him but he's been in the Dundalk area for uh, about a a year and uh, he was soccer mad was he?
0: Absolutely, and he was doing his best to integrate themselves, as you know, the direct provision centres are are stopping off points where where all the documentation is 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 filled out and and they try then to place themselves in employment or um go about a normal life as as all of the bad news programs there's always debate about Ireland and what's wrong with it, but it is a country that is a fabulous place to live, and these people come and hope to be part of that environment that that gives us all a good lifestyle here. And, and and they come here in the hope that maybe their lives will be made better. And he was one that was doing that, certainly. He he played on the local football team, the the refugee football team. He was quite a talented footballer. Uh, he had recently been part of a team that won a match in Dublin. Um, he loved his e-scooter, I believe it was one of the things that he, he loved to do. He loved to go around the area and have a look at the area, and that was his mode of transport, as indeed it is the mode of transport of quite a few people who reside at the, at the Karnbeg, um Direct Provision Centre. Uh, and, and that, as I said, that is a discussion for uh, another day. And we will have that discussion, you know, certainly infrastructure needs to be improved. But yes, he was a young man who was trying to improve his life, as these people all do. They try and come here and they're trying to better themselves, trying to future themselves. But tragically, in this case... Um, uh, as we've heard over the weekend it ended, ended in this terrible tragedy
2: Yeah and it really is a, a terrible tragedy, would be under any circumstances uh, but uh, it's hard not uh, to think of how somebody came here hoping to find international protection only to lose their life uh, on the roads uh, in the way that happened. As you say, it's a very busy road. A lot of people would have been uh, around, uh, it was close to midnight, wasn't it, on, on Saturday night. Uh, and Gardaí are hoping that if anybody witnessed uh, the accident or have dash cam footage or that sort of thing, that they would make it available to them.
0: Yes, it is a very, very busy stretch of road, Michael. As you rightly said, it's a very dark stretch of road. Uh, without a shadow of doubt, and they conducted their investigation over a full day very, very forensically, went over the road to try and establish the facts in this case, and they are appealing for Dashcam, which I would imagine uh, should be forthcoming, because it is an exceptionally busy road. It's the main artery out of Dundalk uh, to to the north side of of Armagh and onto onto Armagh town, so a hugely busy road. so I, I would hope that the appeal comes to some fruition and, and that maybe that that will be successful for them. Yeah. A,
2: a dreadful tragedy and uh, a loss of life and we hope that the other people who were involved in this incident are well uh, and uh, that they uh, recover from uh, the experience. Pat, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. That's LMFM reporter Pat oshaughnessy Michael, Michael
4: Reed on LMFM. On
2: LMFM. Just a, a few messages uh, The Drahada councillors have no backbone, says one listener. The mayor, who wasn't elected by the people, will definitely not say a word about Christian brothers because... Her late husband was a head teacher in a Christian Brothers school. Thank you for the text. Jack and Loud says, please remind listeners they'll have a chance to let these councillors know what the people think of them at our next council elections, which are coming very soon. Thank you indeed. John says, these are people that we elect and their attitude towards victims is a disgrace. Thank you uh, as well. John, for your message uh, this morning, Jack. Uh, John Conlon then in Bally McKenney says why should only 10 councillors of Drogheda decide about rescinding the freedom of uh, the town to brother Garvey and not the people of Drogheda thanks uh, for that John Jackie says Michael thank you and your radio station for the support for survivors of child sexual abuse can we ask the people of Drogheda what they want with regard to rescinding the freedom of Drogheda from brother Edmund Garvey in light of uh, the legal strategy to obstruct justice can we set up a poll says Jackie thank you indeed uh, for that Jackie Uh, all I can say is uh, I'm sure that that's possible. We won't be setting up a, a poll because uh, the uh, results wouldn't uh, be scientific. I mean, all of the victims could text in and that would weigh one side or all those opposed could text in. Uh, there's no scientific way of doing it on a, a radio station. But thank you indeed uh, for your message. Now, let's uh, turn our attention uh, to something completely different different and as to whether the Department of Defence misled the public, it said it didn't and the government didn't in uh, claiming uh, that aid it was giving to Ukraine would not impact on neutrality but Irish troops are to provide weapons training, training to the Ukrainians and uh, this has led to statements uh, proclaiming the opposite, that Ireland's neutrality has been compromised. Jim Roach, PRO with the Irish anti-war movement and and founding member of the irish neutrality league joins us a, a very good morning to you jim and thank you indeed for joining us on the program this morning how do you feel about irish troops training ukrainian troops in uh, the skills of the war field? good
8: morning michael and to your listeners thanks for having me on uh Look, th- this is uh, first of all, I question the whole timing of this announcement uh, during when it does in recess. It's clear deception by the government. I mean, they, they, in all their statements uh, leading up to the, you know when they were sending the the D miners uh, um, to Ukraine, they said all all help, all help. They used the word non-lethal, and you now have a situation where they're saying they're going to send up to I think it's up to thirty uh, Irish soldiers. Mm. To train people how to use guns to kill people. But what uh, they
2: had said was it was mine clearance, combat medicine and engineering. In their statements correct. up to now there was no mention of weapons.
8: Yes, yeah, that's correct, yeah, and in, in the article in the Irish Times last, that, that referred to that. Uh, so look, this is there's no question this is an actual clear and what, what uh, our Irish Neutrality League colleague Dominic Carroll in a letter to the Irish Times used the words egregious and incontrovertible breach of Irish neutrality. There's no question about it. I mean, Article 29 is very clear, and it hasn't been amended, to the best of my knowledge. Article 29 of Bunrake Neheren, it calls on the government, uh, I beg your pardon, that's from our statement, but it talks about the ideals of peace, the generally recognised principles of international, and quote, the Pacific settlement of international disputes. So, how can you claim to uh, live up to that when you're doing this? When you're clearly taking one side in in a, in a war, um, there's no question that this breaches Irish neutrality. Mm. I tell you what, it reminds me. Well, we've never been that. neutral, though, have we? Well, I know. I, I accept that. I wouldn't say we'd never been neutral. I think there were really good uh, um, evidence of our neutrality in the post Second World War period with the work of Frank Gaikan and the uh, Non-Proliferation non-prol- Treaty, mm. uh, all all that stuff. Um, I think it. I, there's no question. Irish neutrality has been seriously weakened since 2003, since the government uh, allowed uh, U.S. military to use Shannon Airport and not to search the planes, etc. And uh, and uh, that has. But the problem is, you see, Irish people don't generally don't know what's going on? I think mm. uh, would there not? It's not been it's well. Not this
2: one went over think. the heads of a lot of people, I, I think. And you mentioned the article yeah. in the Irish Times, uh, and uh, apparently there was a memo on this, uh, which had suggested that the Irish troops would be involved uh, involved in weapon skills as well as more advanced marksmanship skills. Uh, which would allow Ukraine to train up sharpshooters, but they removed the reference yes. to marksmanship skills because they felt that it would breach neutrality. Uh, what's know, the difference between marksmanship skills and teaching someone how to use a, a rifle efficiently?
8: Well, I know. Look, if you don't mind me, I'm going to um, bring in an analogy here. This reminds, do you remember John Stalker in Northern Ireland, mm-hmm. the, the Stalker affair, right? Yeah. And the whole his whole investigation of the shoot to kill policy of the uh, British Army there after several uh, men I think you know shot dead instead of trying to arrest them, including one 19-year-old teenager. And uh, either Martin Turner in the Irish Times or Steve Bell in in the uh, Guardian uh, did a brilliant cartoon at the time. There is no shoot to kill policy. There is just a shoot to fill full of holes policy. <laughs> And uh, I'm sorry to make a joke, but it really reminds me of that, because what is the difference between us actually sending guns to Ukraine to be used by people there and then instead sending uh, soldiers, you know, Irish citizens to help train Ukrainians to fire guns that are supplied by other people? Uh, Which one is, I mean, one is almost worse than the other, and I, I, I would think what the government is doing is almost worse than actually sending weapons, you know. So uh, it's shocking uh, and it's shocking that they think they can get away with this. And it's unfortunate that the doll is off because otherwise mm. I think there, there would be uh, lots, of, hopefully lots of uh, PQs on this. You know? oh, and
2: there would be lots um, of giving out and lots of tut-tutting. But what difference would any of that make? Because it is an administrative uh, decision, is it not? Uh, it is up to the government of uh, the day to decide on instances like this uh, and involvement in missions like this or not.
8: Well... Well, I I think uh, it, it's not just up to the government. I mean, it's up to all of us to, to call the government uh, um, to to ask them to respect Irish neutrality, to ask them to respect Article 29, to ask them to respect the majority view, uh, or, or the views of, of the majority of the people in Ireland as being mm. shown in poll after poll. Uh, and I just want to reference another poll that was done back in, I think, April, May, about uh, you know w- whether Irish people would um, uh, like to see pe- peace talks happening, and it was the response was eighty seven percent out of a thousand people polled. Eighty seven percent answered positively to that. So there is a lot happening. I mean, this war—I've Mar- I've said this to you before, Michael. This mm. war is going nowhere. It's a, it, like the, the the border has hardly moved now in several months. Thousands of people are getting killed every day. Possibly tens of thousands in in the last week uh I, i've just done a check on the amount of armaments being uh donated to ukraine you can get it up on wikipedia very quickly and it's absolutely shocking i mean mm. we've had that you know we had the HIMARS, the anti-aircraft defense all the different types of tanks we've had drones sent in uh there's an allegation that uk has sent depleted uranium we, we have a clear uh acknowledgement that the U.S. is sending cluster bombs, And the latest thing is they're going to send F-16 fighter jets. And uh, none of this is working. None Mm. of it's worked so far. It's just an awful war of attrition. Okay. uh, an incredible number of people getting killed.
2: But who is um, at war, I suppose is calls. the next who is at war Jim is the next question following what you've just said. Uh it, it would seem clear to me that it's not just Russia against Ukraine uh but Ukraine has the support of NATO uh, and uh the country yeah. sending those fighter planes, but also uh, of Ireland is that your contention that Ireland is now at war with Russia because of its decision to train uh, in uh, the skills of uh, the battlefield.
8: Well, I, I, I personally wouldn't go that far and say that, but I, I think it is, it is um, certainly um, stretching the bounds of uh, its, its definition of Irish neutrality. You know, okay. Um, I, I mean, if, if if you go on the list, I mean, it it hasn't got that up under Ireland yet, so. Compared to other countries, we we are certainly not doing as much. And what we are doing, which is great, is helping the refugees. But what we should be doing as a neutral country is calling for peace talks, say, along with other neutral Mm -hmm. countries in the world and countries in the global sphere We should be calling for a ceasefire and peace talks to end okay. this horrible war.
2: Alright, Jim, I have to leave there. We're out of time. Thanks indeed uh, Thanks, as Michael. always. Uh, Jim Roach, PRO for the Irish Anti-War Movement and founding member of the Irish Neutrality League. That's our programme for today. Maggie Maguire research. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am, right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. <laughs>